Welcome to Modern Animism Radio. I'm Laurel Giles, your host. Thanks for tuning in. And we have a guest today. I'm going to be talking with Canadian author and love activist Tara Bianca about what she calls the Tantra of life. Sounds juicy, doesn't it? And I know you can't wait to dive in. So let's take a moment to give gratitude to the ancestors and elements. Acknowledge and thank the element of earth for all our sensuous, wonderful things that surround us every day. The sun, the moon, our food, our bodies, the bees, watermelons, everything that helps to sustain our physical existence. Thank you, earth. Acknowledge and thank the element of air for all the fabulous things we can't see, like the breath that sustains our lives, inspiration that keeps our minds fertile, imagination, discernment, and communication to keep us connected to each other and on the other side of the veil. Acknowledge and thank the element of fire for our power, desire, the ability to manifest things in a responsible way. Thank you for the passion that keeps us going. Acknowledge the element of water. Whew, water. Water's life. It nourishes all life on earth. It helps us to grow, to go deep, to feel, to explore our intuitive side. Acknowledge and thank the loving, helping ancestors from the human, plant, animals, and mineral kingdoms. I thank you for all your help that we receive that is both seen and unseen. And thank you to our listening community for being here today. Thank you for your questions, support, and donations. If you have any comments or questions, don't be shy. We want to hear from you. And you can also review us on iTunes. That would help a ton. Finally, thank you, Tara Bianca, for being our guest. And welcome. It's uh, my, my pleasure and my privilege. So thank you very much. I really appreciate this opportunity to share such beautiful teachings with people. So Tara, I have to say that uh, I was intrigued by the phrase uh, Tantra of life. That's actually what caught my attention. Um, before we get to that, though, can you share with us a little bit about your spiritual journey? Um, it seems that it always starts with disillusionment, some stumbling and then some successes. And has, has yours been like that? Yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I, um, I've had a really fascinating life from my conception um, where I was um, conceived uh, in, in really kind of dark circumstances. And even I was carried within my mother um, when she worked at a psychiatric ward, the night shift, the whole time she was pregnant as a single, you know, pregnant person. And um, you know, into, into a hospital where I lived for six months because of uh, various situations that happened to my mom and myself while we were there. And uh, a really fascinating, um, challenging times. And, uh, and, and I had this throughout my life, like in really extreme challenges. And uh, when I was six years old, I was very fortunate. I started to really ask questions about the universe and creation and what's this all about. And no one can answer those questions for me. I, I checked in with all the other adults in, in my parents' lives and, and no one, you know, had those answers. And they certainly laughed at me or kind of turned me away because the, the questions were too big for them, I think. And, and so I felt like I was really on my own. So I really turned to the divine and I asked for, you know, incredible mentorship and I just trusted if, if there is a creator of everything, then that creator is going to um, mentor me. And I just made that assumption and it started to happen. And I started to receive beautiful mentorship um, from, from the divine. Uh, interestingly enough, through um, all of creation, as well as through like a direct personal experience. And, um, and so through, throughout my life, I, I started to grow in really beautiful um, gifts like being a very very powerful empath and psychic um those came with challenges as well because i didn't understand them um to the degree that i had them in, in comparison with other people and I, I didn't have any mentors so it was a really really kind of stuck um challenging times at times especially when i was going through my teens uh, we didn't have the internet back then um <laughs> there were no local bookstores um, that touched on any of these topics and I lived in a small town and everything. So it was, a, I was quite isolated and alone in it. And so I really relied on nature. I relied on the divine. I relied on, on my own intuition and um, the, these beautiful teachings that I began to receive. So how did you get introduced to the divine so young? Was that part of your upbringing? 
Yeah, well, what happened was I was, uh, my, my mother was a Catholic and my stepfather was a Protestant. And so they, they would split us kids and one, half the family would go to Protestant church and the other half would go to Catholic church. And I, because I, I don't know, I always felt such a connection with the divine. And so I always thought, well, I guess this is where you do it is in church. And I made that assumption and until I came into, um, you know, a challenge with the church itself. Uh, I actually became an altar boy back then. You couldn't even be considered an altar girl. And so I was serving the mass. I was 10 years old and I, I was learning everything I could. And, um, and one day the archbishop came to town and they told me I couldn't serve mass. And I said, why? And they said, cause you're a girl. And I said, this is ridiculous. Even as a 10 year old, I was like, this is the most ridiculous thing. And so um, they didn't give me much more explanation. So I just walked out and I told my parents I wasn't going back. And then I, when I turned 13, I still was in mentorship with the divine. The divine was teaching me um, very strongly. And I always, I kept thinking, well, I should, I should be in church. It'll enhance it more. And so I went back to church when I was 13 by myself. And when I was there, it was, it felt dead. Mm. It was so in comparison to the, the aliveness and the richness of the mentorship I was receiving outside of, um, you know, the church, I, when I was there, the divine even said to me, there's no energy in this, like leave. And I was like, determined. I was like, no, I'm going to stay till the end of mass. And I did. And I even came back the next week and it was, it was even more clear to me. And the divine was even clearer to me, like, do not come here to connect Um, everything is by rote and it's dead. There's no energy in it. And so I walked out of mass, I think halfway through the mass. And then I, um, I really had no attachment to it whatsoever. And then things really started to intensify after that. When I, I realized that everything needed to be just in connection, direct connection with the divine. And, um, and so then I, I began my, my path and I started to actually encounter some dark energies <clears throat> as my psychic abilities opened and my third eye opened, I could really see light energies, dark energies and things like that. And it, and it really freaked me out. I, I couldn't speak to anybody about it because I thought they would think I was crazy. And so I, um, I went through this real beautiful mentorship with it um, for about 10 years. It was quite traumatic but I was learning quite a lot. And then I met a man by happenstance. um, And he was this very spiritual man. It was the first spiritual person I ever met. And he was studying with a guru in India and they were experiencing really profound um, or he was experiencing profound experiences with this guru who wasn't physically present here in Canada, but was bilocating to meditate with this spiritual teacher and leaving him artifacts like, um, bracelets and things like that to prove that he was had physically been there and so he was telling me about this and I and I was and he was a doctor a medical doctor and and I actually met him for a, a medical appointment he was somehow <laughs> trusting me relaying this information to me and I was trusting him relaying my information and um, when I told him what was going on for me he said oh he's like you're having a spiritual awakening and it's not what you think it is these energies, they can't harm you. They can't touch you whatsoever. They can't affect you. They can only make you believe um, that they can harm you. And, and it's really fascinating because it's quite similar to anxiety, worry, fear in people's lives. These energies are pretty much identical. And for me at the time, I was experiencing a lot of anxiety and fear. And, um, and I was, I thought it was me, but really it was these types of energies. And so he taught me, gave me a few techniques and taught me how to um, remain in my power and how to work in service of these energies to clear them and bring them into the light. And, um, and then the next 10 years of my life after that was filled with really um, learning how to be free of the influence of these energies and what, because they're, they're, they're in the world and we interact with people who have a lot of negativity and everything else. And so how do we navigate in life free of the influence of everyone and everything, um, maintaining our own power and being, being that what, what I call uh, the sacred balance, which is the awareness of, of everything, 
including the darkness that's out there, and at the same time, it not touch you for you to be just in your own divinity and your own power. So, and that's the, that's where, where the lead into the the tantra of life, which is <laughs> really beautiful. But one one other thing that I'll add is um, I'm very fortunate because on my path, I I started to um, to have really beautiful experiences um, where I started to um, go to traveling to places in the world where you, where I didn't spend a lot of time in the cities. I'd spent a lot of time in the mountains spent a lot of time at sacred sites, spent a lot of time with animals, spent a lot of time. And I started to open even more. And, um, and when I returned, I actually traveled in South America and Central America for about six months. And when I returned, there was something really uh, awakening within me and I ended up uh, coming back and I went to this uh, beautiful retreat uh, with a spiritual teacher who teaches nothing except for brings you into a field of presence. And then you can, you know, if you're ready for awakening then you awaken and I just happened to be ready for awakening. And we were doing a lot of things like we were walking blindfolded in the, in the, in the, uh, in the desert and we were <clears throat> doing sweat lodges and we were doing a lot of, time sitting outside in nature and everything else. And this was really powerful time for me to begin with. And uh, this was in the year 2000. And we have these cycles of solar flares that come from the sun every so often. And when we have these solar flares, it's actually this light that, that really affects our consciousness and can actually bring about quite a lot of awakening for us. There's really all of life is seeking to awaken us. And, um, and so the sun has these beautiful um, celebratory bursts of, 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 uh, of uh, energy and that energy can like really activate us and awaken us. And it just happened to be in the summer of 2000 when I went into a beautiful awakening into unity consciousness. And when I went into unity consciousness, I was connected with everyone and everything and this really, really changed the way that I perceived reality and brought me into a state of enlightenment that was, was incredibly profound and all accepting. And in this beautiful state, I uh, started to blossom, but it wasn't always easy. I went into the dark night of the soul, which lasted for about a year and a half, and uh, I, I really descended into hell. And it was uh, just from a decision that I made. And really all of us, we have one of the core aspects of being tantric masters in, in the tantra of life is, is getting to a place where we understand we have choice and our choice has consequences for ourselves. If we choose amazing things for ourselves, we have amazing experiences and profound experiences. If we have choice, if we make choice that's um, detrimental to us, where we give up our power and those things, then we experience being powerless. We experience being um, in, a, in a place of darkness within ourselves. And so it's, there's so much choice that's available. We, there's such a spectrum and it's reflected in nature. It's reflected in, in the diversity, in the beauty um, the whole spectrum that's available. And that's how we can actually attune to nature to get a sense of how we can attune to beauty, how we can attune to power, how we can attune to, um, you know, inspiration, creativity, newness, um, beautiful energies and renewing energies and everything else. But there's also the flip side that's there. And so it's really what we choose to attune to in it. And uh, yeah. So <laughs> that gives you a, a kind of a brief explanation or, or synopsis of my life, but yes. Yeah. So there's lots of places that I can go, but I want to back up um, and touch on a couple of things that you said. So going back to uh, mentoring with the divine, it sounds like you're saying that there was no human. It was just a direct um, relationship. Is, am I understanding that correctly? Uh, it's a direct relationship in that there's like a, the way I could describe it is that it's challenging because back then was different than how it is now. Now it's, 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 it's evolved in so many ways. So at the time, I guess what I needed and what I conceived of most was like a divine father. And 
Um, I, it's funny because I really, really, I, I can't say I rejected, but I was resistant to the concept of God as a, as a man or a masculine figure or something like that even. And so although God never came to me, um, you know, in the way that some people think of God, um, I, I didn't even refer to God as God back then. I used to say the divine. Um, and, it's, and what happened was I really took a stance of gender neutrality and omniscience and everything else within my own self. And uh, it was really fascinating because the divine would continuously come to me in various forms, um, often in the form of a masculine figure, but always of different races. And, um, but always with such joy and very, very rascally and always evoking fun. And uh, it was very interesting because I was always very serious until recently and every time the divine came it was always in the form of a game or to to make fun with me or to remind me that I'm here to have fun and that everything I do needs to have fun in it and then even sent me my own child who is a teacher of joy and fun and play because even as a child I never played I was so, so serious about the divine so early and um, other than, I shouldn't say I didn't play. I didn't play in a normal way. I would be out in nature and I would, I would contact my friends at a very young age. I'd tell my parents I was going to the park. And I'd be like, let's go up into the mountains. And we'd take, drive, take our bikes and go up to the mountains for lunch. Or we'd go to the ravines or whatever else. And we'd, we'd play these very adventuresome games like kings and queens and and, and we'd be riding our horses, uh, which would be our bikes and things like that. And so I would play that way, but I couldn't never play with like Barbies or dolls or th- that sort of thing. I really needed adventure and I really needed um, epic journeys and things like that. And so that if, if I could do that, that was great. Otherwise, I was really serious. I was in, in a, a very serious tone in my life and I was very, you know, academic and, and, and all these things. And, and so even my, my approach to the divine, even though the divine was so generous and like, like speaking to me, teaching me, sending me lots of different teachers, I was still quite co- like a kind of compartmentalized when it came to my own vision of what the divine was. And it wasn't until um, later in life that the divine was just kept breaking those aspects that I conceived of that actually I shouldn't even say conceived of that were really um, uh, I would say programmed into me by society. And, um, and so, and even one of those things was, was even my rebelliousness to consider the masculine principle of the divine. And I wouldn't even consider the feminine principle because that to me didn't even make sense. It was like, well, if it's not one, then it's not the other. And now I have a greater sense that the, certainly the divine is everything. All of life is holy. All of existence um, is the, the field of the divine. And each one of us is individuated divinity coming through in such unique ways. Even in our suffering, we are merely um, in an experience where we are um, not aware of our divinity. And that is what is suffering. And so getting into a place of, of being in remembrance of who we really are and our, our creativity and our power um, to create and co-create with the field of divinity um, is really powerful. And um, one beautiful story that, that I'll share with you, uh, deeply personal, I don't think I've ever even shared this with anyone. I was in this place in Brazil in one of the most gorgeous, beautiful places on earth that I've ever been to. And um, I was laying underneath this tree and the wind was blowing the tree leaves in, in such a pattern that was like mesmerizing. And I was like, whoa, this is, it's almost like psychedelic. And I was like, whoa. And then the divine came in and started to address me and called me daughter and I, I was in this, I was in this really profound place and started to teach me this beautiful teaching 
about how every leaf, every branch, every insect, every animal, every drop of water is my brother and my sister. And um, I was so taken by this teaching and the way that it was impressed upon my consciousness that I, 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 I asked the divine, please, may I share this with, with the world? And, um, you know, these teachings and the divine said, yes. And so I got up to, to write down what I was being taught. And then the divine took over my hand and started to, I just started transcribing a whole book on this. Basically it's this remembrance it's called, and it's a book's called play well. And it's, it's such a beautiful book. It can, it's like a child could read it. It's really playful and invitational. It's the remembrance of these things that everything is divine and that we are here to, um, to create, to co-create, but in respect for the sovereignty of everything. And, um, and in this place that where we connect that, that all of nature is, is there to nourish us and we're there to nourish nature and that um, even water, well, everything, but water is, is there as a, an absolute blessing and we can bless water further, but really it, in it, when it's in its holy t- intact state, just the way that the divine created it without pollution of any kind, it's already blessed. And so um, it's when we bring in chemicals or when we, we bring in um, any type of negativity to or a type of energies that pollute in any way that we actually create a type of corruption that 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 imparts suffering upon us because we drink that water, we bathe in that water, our food is bathed in that water. And so it's a really beautiful, um, beautiful, expansive experience of, of really being in touch with, with the beauty um, and the Tantra of life. The Tantra of life is, is an active force, but it's also existence itself. Can you talk more about that? <laughs> Sure. Yeah. So with the, with the Tantra of life. So I always, I always tell people like, I'm, I'm a Tantric master and people are like, Whoa, tell me about that. Cause they, they think it's all to do with sex. And they're right. like, sex, sex is a great part of it, <laughs> but an even greater part is the ability to prepare a salad for yourself and to be in a joyful state and to choose nourishing choices for yourself, like going for a walk or, like laughing with friends, hugging your friends or connecting with people, or even when you're working to be in a place of joy with whatever you're doing. Um, And so it's, it really is about whether it doesn't matter if you're going for a run. um, It's, it's really opening to the sounds and the sights, the colors, the senses, and allowing yourself to be in that place of, of sensuality with life. And, um, to, to, to experience Tantra, it's not, it's not enough to like, if, if we give the example of, of sex, it's not enough to, um, to just, you know, have sex and then everything's great. When you have sex, you want to, you want to enjoy the nuances of it. You want to enjoy the connection of it. You want to enjoy, um, the, you know, the, the receiving and the giving, and you want to, you know, open to the beauty all aspects of the beauty of it and the playfulness and all that stuff and it's the same with life is like when you step into a situation where you open to not just the beauty of something that everyone might think is beautiful but you could run past a pile of of uh you know wood driftwood it could be driftwood it could be like stacked um plywood what doesn't matter it could be a pile of garbage it doesn't even matter but to be able to see the art of it to be able to like recognize that's never going to look the same again i can run past here you know every single day for the rest of my life and that pile is always going to be different it's going to be deteriorating in a certain way the light's going to be shining on in a particular way and it's the same thing within our everyday life whether it's a pile of laundry or a pile of dishes um, even if we sat in our rooms, uh, like our living room day in and day out, it will never be the same again. 
it will always have a slightly different shade of, and tone in, when it comes to light and color. There will be particles of dust descending in certain ways and patterns. And, um, and so all of life, this is the most beautiful and fascinating thing about life, is nothing's ever the same. We are absolutely entertained by creation itself as it evolves and changes and creates newness. And we're the same. We're never the same. And we're always in a place where when we, sometimes when we suffer, it's because we might be attached to like, oh, I want it to be the way it was last week, or I want it to be the way it was last year, or when I was five years old, or whatever else. And if we can always understand the principle of, of the ever-changing nowness of existence, and if we can join the celebration and the joy and the peace and the ecstasy, <laughs> and I call, I call it like this beautiful place of, of peaceful aliveness, uh, where you are in that sacred balance, where you're not in the extreme of like, total non-movement and not in the extreme of, of total ecstasy where you can't function, but in a place where you've got both stillness and aliveness coursing through your beingness all at the same time. And I can feel it even just talking about it. The activation of it is so powerful and potent. And I'm sure that the people who are listening can feel as I'm speaking about it. Um, it just evokes, you know, within a person, this place of excitement and joy but from a place of sobriety. And that's one thing that happened to me when I received this beautiful teaching, uh, this book called play well from, from the divine. I went into such gratitude at one point uh, in the transcription of the book that I was down on the ground in the dirt on my belly. And I was expressing such gratitude. And I, I felt I was going to go into absolute annihilation into the total field, uh, unity field. And the divine said to me, you have work to do, sober yourself up and get back to work. And I was like, wonderful. <laughs> okay. And what happened was when, when I was firmed this way, when I call it being firmed, when I was firmed this way, I got back to work immediately and I was like in agreement, of course, because the divine is instructing me and I trust those instructions. And the moment I got to work, I noticed that this, this gratitude and joy was just radiating from me and it's never left me. And so I'm in this place of ecstasy, but it, I remember when I first went into unity consciousness back in the year 2000, it would be like, I'd go into this orgasmic ecstasy and my kundalini would rise up and shoot out the top of my head. And then I would have take a day to recover. And then I'd go back into that ecstatic state. And it was, it's like um, in Tantra, they, they teach men how they can um, have sex without ejaculating, but they can be orgasmic or they retain that, that, um, the energy of the orgasm within themselves. And what was happening is I didn't know anything about energy back then. I didn't, I didn't teach, hadn't been taught by, a, um, you know, a, an energy teacher or anything, or at that point it was, it came about two years after that, that I started to learn about how to cycle energy and everything else. So at the time what happened was I was so surrendered to the divine that my crown was open and I was uh, so activated that my kundalini was literally shooting out the top of my head out into the universe for anybody to eat, <laughs> you could say, or enjoy, enjoy the nourishment of. And um, for anybody out there who does any type of spiritual practices, one of the things um, that two things that can happen when your kundalini rises, and it's really important to know about is one, if your crowns open, it will shoot out and as ecstatic and amazing as it feels it's you're losing your energy and you need to seal your crown. Um, number two is if your crown is sealed and your energy, your Kundalini energy shoots up into your, up your spine to the top of your head. If you don't keep your tongue on the roof of your mouth, it will get stuck in your head and will drive you crazy. You'll have pain in your head. You'll be very angry and agitated. It can cause a lot of uh, negative symptoms and so if you, you happen to be opening and, and, and nature can open you, it can activate your Kundalini really easily when you surrender into that beautiful beauty and, and the energy of nature. 
If it happens, it's really important that you keep your tongue on the roof of your mouth. What that does is connects the circuit in your, the energy circuit in your body and allows the energy to flow naturally and, and for it to, to, main, to be maintained. And, and then you can use it and store it. First of all, store it in your abdomen and use it to go to higher states of consciousness. But if it shoots out of your, like your crown, then you can't use it. It's gone. It's lost. Not lost. The rest, someone in the universe is going to access that, that and uh, enjoy it, but it won't be you necessarily. <laughs> so I was really fortunate to learn how to go into the sacred balance, which is to be in a place of ecstasy and joy, but in, from a place of sobriety, which is I'm aware of what's going on in the world. Uh, a lot of people, some people want to escape what's happening I'm very aware of it as an unconditional observer and I'm in my own joy state. And this is what uh, a lot of people don't understand when it comes to symbology, like a cross, um, whether it's like a, you know, a, a, like an Irish or a Druidic type cross, or if it's um, any type of, uh, Christian cross or any other type of cross. There's like various crosses represented around the world, uh, but it can be anything. It can be even uh, uh, the star of David or anything, a circle. The very center point is the place of balance. And so I love the crosses that are in the world that have the circle surrounding it, uh, like the sun in the center point and the very center point of the circle or the cross or the star which is the set basically is where you want to be is in, in perfect balance and harmony within yourself. And um, all of nature represents that. I mean, we have a planet that's circular. We have a sun that appears to us circular a moon that appears circular. We have um, when we talk about unity, we talk about cohesion, we talk about circular energies and um, connecting in those ways. Um, but at the very, if we go to any point, um, you know, on the circle, we're, we're not accessing the whole. And so to be in the very center at the very core, where we are actually radiating out into all possibilities from a place of power within ourselves. This is, this is how we activate. This is how we maintain and embody the Tantra of life. And in, in a very balanced way where we, we're not getting into trouble within ourselves, where we can actually survey existence from a place of of not getting attached or sucked into or you know um, or influenced by other people's ideas or um, it doesn't mean that you don't consider anybody's ideas because from that vantage point you can you can consider anything and so it's a really powerful place to be when you are a tantric master at the very place of balance within your own life I'm assuming that that would apply also to the uh, divine masculine and feminine. Correct. And so what happens now, if this is challenging for some people when they, when they talk about it, because some, some people don't realize that we really need to have the divine masculine and divine feminine balanced within each of us. Um, if there's not, then we end up, um, you know, there's a, usually at the root of that, there's emotional conflicts that are related to our parenting or the way that um, the, the masculine and feminine are perceived or um, on display in media and entertainment and everything else. And so one of the things that, um, that when I work with people one-on-one, -on -one, when they come to me, there's often some sort of imbalance. And sometimes women will come to me and they'll, and they'll be in a place of um, challenge with a, a partner or men will come to me and same thing, whether they're heterosexual, homosexual, doesn't matter, uh, whatever their sexual preferences doesn't matter. There's, if there's an imbalance between the divine masculine and divine feminine, they're going to run into relationship problems. They're going to run into their own personal um, imbalances within their own minds and everything else. And narcissism is one of the biggest things these days. Uh, people call it narcissism. It's, it's, it's a kind of a catch all for a bunch of, emotional conflicts that are occurring within someone. Um, but narcissism, uh, when it comes to the masculine or to men in particular, comes from a place where they are really not in balance with the, the needs of the feminine. It doesn't need to be their partner, it just even their own feminine needs. 
uh, or the, the divine feminine within them. And it's because they've learned to shut that down. They've learned to disregard or dismiss. Uh, they've learned to uh, compartmentalize. And, and so then, then there can be quite a lot of balance. And the same with women. Women can also be narcissistic in some ways, but they can, they tend, women in on mass tend to, to go to uh, codependency and making um, things comfortable for narcissists more, more so than, than uh, men. Although it, it can happen, men also can be codependent with narcissistic women, but it's uh, in some ways it's kind of balanced in, in the way that that happens. But really what we're being called to do when we come into the knowing and the power of our own divinity is to ensure that all aspects of ourselves are, are fully integrated and in balance. And then from that place, we, we're, now we're not uh, at the whim of what I call the illusion, that which uh, wants to keep us in the dark about our power and who we are and our divinity. And so it, we can get caught up in um, stories about what it is to be a woman or what it is to be a man. Mm -hmm. and, and these things can come up in ways where, like women feel like they need to seduce a man or that a man has to do everything they want or, or they're not loved. And, and, it, and it can go out of balance in those types of ways. And so um, it really is about coming into a place when you could free yourself from the influence of what anyone thinks of you or believes about you or believes you should do or shouldn't do and come into a place what, with what's truly nourishing for you that causes no harm to anybody else because there are a lot of people are like, well, I love doing this. And meanwhile, they're actually enslaving somebody else. And they think that that's, that's their truth. And that's what brings them joy. And it's like, well, yeah, it brings some people joy to kill people. And so, but that's not helpful for the rest of us, you right. know, and there's a whole bunch of other dark stuff I could go into that people can justify because it's pleasurable to them or, um, gives them some something and and so it really is from a place of uh, me, beginning to meet your needs without needing anybody else to meet those needs like meet, meet, begin meet, meeting those needs from a place of um, your own self-acceptance your own self-compassion your own nourishment of clean drinking water healthy foods yeah, be, spending time in nature right <laughs> The basics, the basics. <laughs> the basics, yeah. Yeah. So how did your time with in the Amazon influence your path? Uh, well, I spent, um, I went to, to Brazil twice, once to the Amazon and then once to this beautiful area called Bahia, uh, probably not pronouncing that the right way, but it's beautiful, magical place in, in Northeast Brazil. Um, and that's where I had the experience underneath this tree was in Northeast Brazil. But I did go to the Amazon. And when I was in the Amazon, I went to visit a tribe called the Yawanawa tribe. And uh, I have to say, when I first arrived there, uh, I was really tired because it took three and a half days to get there because we were wow. like, we were deep in the Amazon on the Peru border. And so we had to fly from from Canada to hmm. uh, somewhere in the US and then from somewhere in the US, I think it was Florida or something, and then to Brazil on the far west or east coast. And then we had to fly into, into the interior. And so it was three and a half days later, including a seven hour boat ride on, the, on, an, on an Amazonian river, <laughs> no bathrooms or anything like that. And it, it's, just, it's so funny, these boats are so um, shallow and very tippy because the in the dry season, the, the water in the Amazon rivers are quite shallow. And so you, you can't even like, you know, move to one side a little bit or, or even fall asleep and drop your head down because you'll tip the boat. <laughs> and so you're seven hours wide awake, like, and the noise is, 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 you can't even listen to music or anything like that. You can't hear the birds or anything because the motor is so, so loud, but so you're on this journey and you arrive at night and I was so exhausted, but, um, the Iwanawa tribe were very generous with their, their teachings. And, and on the first night that we arrived, before we went to bed, they had someone playing uh, music for us, sitting around a fire. And I, I heard this one, I mean, all the songs were deeply familiar to me, but there was this one song in particular that this man was singing. And I had a, luckily I had a translator that was sitting around with us. And I, I asked her to ask him, 
where he learned the song because it was so familiar to me mm. that I felt like he had taken a, like a pop song that was like that I'd known my whole life and he had somehow like made it his own. And he was like, no, the forest taught me this song. And I was like, but that's my song. Like I knew it was my song. <laughs> and I'm like, it was so such a profound experience. And so I went to bed that night and I didn't know what I was going to really experience. Uh, and we woke up the next day and we went into this uh, beautiful sharing. It was a group of us women actually who went to do ceremony with the first ever female pages and shamans in the Amazon forest. It was really amazing. 21 of us women. And um, when we, after our sharing circle, they brought the young women in to paint our faces with this local um, dye from, from this one tree. And when they, the moment this young woman started to paint my face, I felt I was being anointed by the divine. Mm. And I, my eyes were open and I was looking out into the forest and I realized I had always been there. I, I've, I'd never not been there and that the forest was always in my heart. And I was just completely one with the forest and I surrendered to the forest for its teachings. And I was there for seven days and every single day, the forest taught me directly. A lot of the other women were, you know, learning from the Yuanawa tribe and everything else. I was too, but the morning, noon and night, even when I was sleeping, I was really, I barely slept the whole time I was there. I barely ate. I was being nourished by the forest, just by the prana itself. There's no Wi-Fi, there's no electricity, nothing like that. And the forest would actually move me. So I'd go, I'd wake up in the morning, go have a bite, some food to eat, this, what they had there, some of what they were growing and some of what they brought in from the city, um, like rice and things like that. But um, I would go into um, this kind of area where they would kind of gather and they would play music for us like every all waking hours and sometimes all through the night if we were up they would be up with us playing music for us teaching us their songs which are very activating I, I have to say they're like like deep um, mantras and some of them actually had very similar Vedic and Sanskrit sounding sounds and when I asked them about this they they said we don't even know the language of these songs they're not even our own language we're just we're just carrying the tradition of it and we've been guided to keep these traditions going so to and to share them with the world and so when i was when i was hearing these songs and the and the beautiful forest was affecting me what happened is it would move me and i would started going to these beautiful dance movements almost the whole time i was there no one else was doing this the Iwanawa, some of them were were like a little weirded out by it some of the Yuanawa, the, the elders were like, wow, this, they, they knew me as the, the woman who danced. And, but, but I wasn't dancing like, um, you know, like to music or something like that. I was being moved by the forest. And the forest was teaching anyone around me who was watching. I had these hand movements and leg movements and arm movements. And there's this one beautiful tree called the Sama Uma tree. It's the tallest tree in the Amazon forest. I didn't know anything about the plants or the, the birds or anything um, before I went there. And I was underneath the Sama Uma tree and the forest started to move me in this movement where I was moving my hands up like the, like the trunk of the tree and then my hands out into like the, the canopy of the tree. And then the tree, then um, the forest had me moving around in a, in a circle, almost like a sprinkler and spraying out this energy out into the forest all the way down, right down to the ground. And it had me do this movement over and over and over again. And, and also spraying the energy out into like the universe. And I, I might get goosebumps just talking about it. It's so profound. And so what happened is um, after we left the Yuanawa tribe and left the, this portion of the Amazon and we went um, got to the highway after taking a seven hour boat ride back we went down to this other river and traveled up that river to um, another community that was a, a white community it wasn't they weren't indigenous people 
but they were, um, they had this small little community and they would take people on these boat tours up their river. And so we were on this boat tour and somebody said, Hey, tell us about the Samauma tree. And he's like, Oh, this tree is really fascinating. It's like the mother of all trees. It basically in the rainy season, it sucks up the water up the trunk and then stores it in the canopy and in the trunk. And then in the dry season, it rains down like a sprinkler on all the other trees. And I was like, what? <laughs> and so I was, I would receive these, this level of teaching from, from the forest. And because I was so surrendered, it just continuously taught me. And then it told me, it instructed me, go home and teach everyone that the Amazon forest is not just the lungs of the world, but the heart of the world. And the Amazon wanted people to know that, that it loves everyone. And it's asking for its, the love and protection of the world. And I, I was so affected um, by this invitation and by all the mentorship I received that was ongoing. Um, and even like I said, when I would go to bed at night, I, I would, I'd lay down and there was, there was no rest. It was just pure teaching, teaching after teaching after teaching. Uh, and I, I, I didn't even want to rest. The truth is, is I wanted and I, I chose to receive as much teaching as I possibly could receive. I think I had two nights I slept, partial, partial nights. But other than that, and I never slept during the day, even napping. I, I just was so, I was like a sponge, really, truly. So what would you say to somebody who um, can't tap into nature, doesn't know how to do that, doesn't have visitations from the divine, how can they um, touch that? That's a great question because um, it really is available to all of us. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it, the, and for people who have not been taught by their parents, because this is, there's so much that's been lost because of the way that we've been programmed or indoctrinated year after year, decade after decade, generation after generation to, to really be disconnected and to really rely on supermarkets and our government and our educational system and authorities to tell us like how to be in life. And so the best thing that I can say is um, it comes down to um, the, the most important thing and that is choice. When you realize you have a choice to open to these things, you can do it. You need to be discerning. It's not about just opening to just anything. <laughs> yes, thanks uh, for saying that. Right, because there's a lot of people who open to spiritual stuff or energies and they actually end up hurting them. And so the one of the most important things, because I had a friend once who she used to channel, but she channeled like unknown entities. And then she ended up in a psychiatric ward. And, I, and when I went to visit her, I said, what are you doing? Like, why wouldn't you channel the highest creator of all? Why wouldn't you channel truth? Why wouldn't you channel love? Like, why would you channel this unknown entity called Greg or something like that? Like, like you don't even know what that is. <laughs> and, and so um, the, when, when I say it comes to choice, this is how you choose. I'm going to teach you how to choose. You say something along the lines of, I choose to to open to truth. I choose to be mentored by truth with a capital T, not Susie's truth or Ben's truth or, um, you know, or that person in that country's truth or that indigenous person's truth or that Asian person's truth or whatever. No, you have, you, we all have our own experiences, but that's not truth. That's just experience. You, when you, when you really want to open to the divine and you want to open to um, being mentored in truthful ways, then truth with a capital T and then opening to mentorship from the divine. And, and, and here's the thing, the divine will never invite you per se. You might kind of get like a bit of a type of in invitation. Um, you might feel inspired to ask or something like that, but, but the divine is consensual. And so the divine will never pressure you, push you, or anything. And so it really requires our free will, which everyone has, and to make a decision and say, I choose to surrender to truth, or I choose to surrender to the teachings of the divine, or I choose to surrender to my own divinity. 
these are really powerful and high level surrenders. We're not just surrendering to, you know, so-and-so or such and such. It's actually very specific, high level truth, high level divinity. And there are lots of, um, certainly there's high level teachers. You can, you can actually ask the, the soul of love, the, the teacher of love to teach you about love, the, which, is, which is actually is the principle, the divine principle of love. You can ask the divine principle of peace to teach you. So anything that's of high vibration and high value to you to, to assist you to be in that place. And so for me, when I started to be mentored by the divine, it's because I said, okay, God, if you exist, then I, then I have these questions I'd like you to answer. And so, and I trust that if you exist, you're going to answer them for me. And the divine did that for me. And so it really is coming into a place where you, um, you make the choice. You're like, I choose to open to this. I choose to be mentored in peace. I choose to be mentored in love. I choose to be mentored about my own divinity. And then it makes it possible. And then one of the things that I teach people that's really powerful is um, asking questions in the affirmative. And so these are not questions that your mind answers because your mind is all about old stuff and programming. And your mind is there to assist you, but it's not you. It is you, but, but in a higher level way, but it's not in the way you think it is. Your mind is there to assist you. It is there to serve you. And so if you feel anxious or frustrated or angry, it's because your ego mind is driving your life. If you want to be in a place of peace, then you need to direct yourself by free will and choice by instructing your mind, I choose peace. I choose love. I choose, you know, whatever it is that you want to experience. And so then when you ask a question in the affirmative, it's a question for your mind to serve you. And I'll, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give an example of a question and then I'm going to explain it further. So a, an affirmative question that isn't to be answered like by you in that moment is a question like, why is it so joyful to open my heart to nature? So there's, you're not looking for a mental answer to that but you're, you're asking the question of your own mind. And what happens is your mind goes, I don't know, let me find out why it's so joyful to open my heart to nature. And then it attracts experiences because your own mind is now focused on that rather than focused on anxiety, you know, rather than be like, so if you ask yourself a negative question, like for example, why am I always so tired? Your mind's going, I don't know, let me find out. And it's going to find out all the reasons why you're so tired. Or why am I, um, you know, sometimes people have these really negative question, questions that they ask about themselves, like, um, why am I always so stupid? And instead, a far better question is, why is it so joyful to learn uh, new things? Or why is it so joyful to expand my consciousness? Or why is it so joyful to learn about that particular thing that I want to learn about? Or why is it so empowering to learn about it? Or why is it so easy to learn about this thing? And so then your mind becomes oriented toward that which is positive for yourself and affirmative for yourself. And so you could ask these questions even about your own divinity. Why is it so enlightening to know who I am? Why is it so empowering for my mind and energy and body to be enlightened? Why is it so joyful to surrender to my divinity? And then from, from these places, you can even just feel that, like how joyful that is. It's like, oh, that sounds joyful. I love that. And then the mind's like, oh, okay. This, there's like this energy like of joy that's associated when, when, when she says it, she must really want this. Um, because your mind doesn't, doesn't care what kind of energy you have whether it's joy or fear, it just goes, oh, there's energy in this. I'm going to go with this. And so if you're, if you think like, you know, why is the world so scary? Your mind's like, Let, let's find out why it's so scary. <laughs> and, 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 and so it will put all its energy toward that. And so instead, if you say, you know, why are there so many loving people in the world? Why are there, why is it so easy to um, attract amazing, generous, loving friends in my life? Why is it so um, 
inspirational to come up with solutions to this situation, then the mind is, is really poised for greatness. It's, it's, it's actually, you're utilizing it in the best possible way to activate your consciousness, your divinity, your connection with nature, your connection with truth, your connection with unity consciousness, your connection with, with, with divine consciousness. And so I say all these front things from a place, not because anyone's ever, I've read a book about any of this. This is my actual embodiment. This is what I experience on a day-to-day basis. I'm in a place of near 24-7 ongoing peace, joy, and equanimity. And I have such joy in my heart and such connection. I have the most amazing friends that I've attracted into my life. And it's from applying these, these very simple principles of asking affirmative questions, making choices that are in the affirmative for myself, and choosing to surrender. And then the flip side of it is, let's say you have something in your life that's um, really detrimental. It could be, let's say you have an addiction to cheesecake, <laughs> or it could be an addiction to cigarettes or whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. I, I give these two kind of ones that are relatively light compared to some other addictions. Uh, but it could be even an addiction to like a, a really toxic relationship or something like that as well. And so one of the things you can say is, I choose to be indifferent to cheesecake. And so indifference is um, not interested. Mm-hmm. So it's not like I, I want to dislike it or hate it because that's so there's still energy in that. And your, your mind's like energy with cheesecake, even if it's like hate. <laughs> right. And so you want to be indifferent. You want your mind to be like, oh, that's boring. And so when you, you say I choose paired with to be indifferent to cheesecake, when you have the option for having cheesecake, then what you do is you walk away. Now your mind might protest because it thinks you want the cheesecake because you've always chosen the cheesecake in the past. And so you have to say, no, I'm choosing to be indifferent to cheesecake. And if it protests again, you're like, I've chosen to be indifferent to cheesecake and you walk away from the cheesecake. Then the next time there's an opportunity for cheesecake, you may go, your mind might be like, hey, that's a really unique flavor of cheesecake. How about that cheesecake? And you're like, no, I choose to be indifferent to that cheesecake. And then you walk away again. By the third time you walk away, your mind will have it that you choose to be indifferent. Because a lot of people are like, it's so hard to let go of stuff. Just, you just have to be able to do it three times. And then the fourth time, and I, I've tested this my own self, because <laughs> I used to have an addiction to cheesecake, if you can believe it. <laughs> Um, so that's why I give this example, but what happened is I remember the fourth time that I went into a patisserie, a bakery, and my mind actually said to me, no, we're indifferent to cheesecake. And I, so I just smiled. I'm like, yes. And I walked (laughs) out. And, and so you really need to be firm with your mind, but it's, it's not using your willpower to, to try to keep yourself from it because that's too much energy around it. It really is about, I just choose to be indifferent and to turn your attention to something else. Now, it can be the same with like anger or judgment. Let's say you're judging someone and, um, and you're like, whoa, I just don't want to judge people, but I keep judging. I keep having negative thoughts about somebody or something like that. You can say to your mind, um, like, I choose, to re- I choose to free that person from my influence. Meaning, I choose to let them be themselves. I choose to let them have their own free will and decide for themselves whether they slouch, whether they swear, whether they eat crappy foods, whether they speak meanly, whether they cut me off in traffic, whatever, it doesn't matter. Because no matter what you do in life, you cannot stop somebody unless you go back in time from doing what they've already done. And so it's insane to be attached to them doing something else. It's already done. So you can accept that they've used their free will to do whatever they've chosen to do. And this, and this is pretty extreme, but that can be literally that they've raped somebody or killed someone. However, it doesn't mean that you agree that that's a good thing or that, that you think that that people should do that. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is they, they've used their divinity to, cause harm upon someone 
That's their choice. And if you can free them from your belief that they should do something else, then you will be free. Because I can guarantee that you've made tons of mistakes in your life, maybe not to that, to that extreme. And if someone came up and was like, well, you know, you lied when you were seven years old. And so you are a terrible person for the rest of your life. Or you stole something when you were 12 years old. And so you should be condemned for the rest of your life. We all as evolving beings make mistakes and we go down paths that are harmful even to our own selves. There's tons of people who abuse drugs and alcohol, food, people who uh, stay up crazy hours and don't get enough sleep. That's self-abuse. And so all of us have free will to choose for ourselves. And it's really important that we choose wisely, but we also need to free other people to choose. And it doesn't mean that we don't have other choices within society that we collectively agree to. For example, if someone murders someone, then we have a process where if they are, if they are found that they have done that, that they go to jail for a certain amount of time, um, that there's consequences to your actions, of course, um, especially with some things like this. However, it's your stance. It's your energy. And if you are angry with somebody for doing something, if you are judging them, you're telling your own mind and the universe that you get to be judged for anything that you do wrong, that you get to be rejected for anything you do wrong. And so to be in a place where you can have compassion, that if somebody murders somebody, you understand what might have happened to them when they were children, what might have happened to them in their life, what's going on biochemically, what kind of foods are they eating? What kind of influence are they experiencing that has corrupted them so much that they would take the life of another human being and think that it's okay? That is a, that's a level of suffering within someone that is so extreme. And it's not just because they're like, oh, I just feel like killing somebody today. It, it's, it's really not what's going on. When we, when we have people incarcerated, we have them incarcerated because they're so broken and really what they need, even if they are, you know, found guilty of a particular crime, what they need is rehabilitation, not punishment. And that's one of the things, um, you know, I wasn't thinking of talking about this today, but that's one of the things that the divine um, has mentored me to mentor parents, but everyone else too, is that we're done with punishment. We're not punishing people anymore is what the divine has, has very clearly said to me. And I remember when I told a few parents this, they were like, so relieved because they thought they had to punish their children. They're like, well, what if my child does something wrong? Like, well, then you mentor them and what, why it was wrong and what's the better way and let them know the consequences to that, to the person that they've harmed and, and ask them how they feel about that and, and everything else and have them engaged in a whole process. But if you send a child to their room to punish them, that you're telling them, if you do something wrong, you're going to be rejected. And they feel so much shame that they're not included with the family. Like I, the number of people I've worked with that they were like, I honestly thought when I got into trouble that my parents would kick me out, that they wouldn't take care of me, that they wouldn't be there for me. As young children, they were terrified that parents, if, if they went further than what they did, it was bad enough they were sent to their room to be alone by themselves and unacceptable to their family. But they were like, if I do even worse, now they might actually push me out of the house. And then what am I going to do? And so we have this concept in society where we are punitive with people and it's created a lot of mental illness. And, and most of the people who are incarcerated have mental illness because they've been neglected they haven't been cared for properly emotionally. And so it's really important that we have the opportunity and it's just an invitation. You could do whatever you want, but to really free other people from our judgment, to free them from expectation. And that allows us to then retain the right to be free of other people's expectations and judgments. And for us to, to begin to make choices that are not enslaving choices like, oh, if I don't do that, that person's gonna reject me. If I don't do that, that person's gonna judge me. 
oh, if I don't do that, that other mother is going to think that there's something wrong with me. It's like, if we're, if we're behaving that way, we're not free. And if we're putting our judgments and expectations on others, then, then we're actually creating enslavement uh, energetically in the world as well. So we, we have the opportunity to be, be loving and firm. It doesn't mean we accept people's behavior. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we are lovingly firm what's acceptable and unacceptable. At the same time, we free that everybody to choose for themselves, even if they choose to use drugs and kill themselves. That's their choice, their free will, and their journey in this lifetime. We don't know why they came here, and what they chose to come here to experience, and we need to let them make their choices for themselves. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell anyway, us? There's like a whole bunch of teachings, like all rolled up in a ball in, in all of this, but yeah. people need to hear that. <laughs> So can you tell people where to get your book and how to contact you? So I have a website called tarabianca.com. And um, right now I'm transitioning into making everything free on my website. So the, the divine has invited me to make everything free. And I'm going to be offering a course called Freedom from Influence, which is actually a more expanded talk about uh, and, and teaching around this. And it's, uh, it involves... Um, you know, uh, some teachings and recordings, some um, meditations that can help to really bring you into a place where not only do you free other people from your influence, but you are truly free from the influence of other people and not worried about what people think about you, not even worried about what, when a negative thought comes up in your mind, you can even be free of the influence of your own mind. And so you can check those things out. My books, you can find my books there, but if you go to Amazon and you, and you look up Tara Bianca, I have uh, three books out, um, two of them we'll talk about. One's called um, The Flower of Heaven, Opening the Divine Heart Through uh, Conscious Friendship and Love Activism, which is a really beautiful uh, book that can teach you so many things about how to love yourself and love others. As well, there's an activation into surrender in that book, which is so powerful. And then another book called Play Well, period, like it's actually Play, play Well, period. And it's, it's basically an invitation for God for us to play well together for us to take care of each other, for us to take care of nature. Um, and so, you know, because all of existence is us, all of existence is our brother and sister. Um, and so every, everything is a reflection of our own self and, and to really have respect for the, wa for the water, for forests, for insects, plants, for each of us, for the stars, the sun, the moon, and everything else. And so it's a real beautiful experience and then i have another book that you can watch for it's called the greatest gift and it's it's going to be coming out um probably later this year but it's a really powerful um type mantra prayer book <laughs> it's really beautiful awesome yeah i'd like to close by sending gratitude to you thank you <laughs> Uh, sending gratitude to the elements our loving helping ancestors if uh you found this helpful Please check out uh, Tara's website and, um, and you, or you can donate to us too at uh, pansociety.net. Just scroll down to the bottom of the page. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Laura Giles for Modern Animism Radio, and I will see you next week. Mm -hmm.